Chapter twenty eight of Thou Art the Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thou Art the Man by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter twenty eight. Death in Life. The telegram that summoned Lady Penrith upon her mysterious journey early on that fatal November afternoon was of the briefest. Found. Come as soon as you like. I wait here for your reply. Coverdale. Lodore Hotel. Keswick. The reply was decisive. I start for Keswick by the 2.40 train today. Mr. Coverdale was waiting on the platform when the train arrived. The grave, kindly face seemed like a welcome, and Lady Penrith felt cheered and sustained by his greeting. He had a carriage waiting for her, looked after her maid and her luggage, and then took his seat beside her and spared her all the agitating questions by telling his story at once and fully. "'In the first place, I have found him,' he said, Plain facts first and details afterwards. I have found him. He is desperately ill, a changed man from the man you remember at Ellerslie. You must bear that in mind, Lady Penrith. You have to prepare yourself for a terrible shock in seeing him after ten years, which have done more to alter him, poor fellow, than twice the number would in a happy life. Desperately ill so ill so changed she faltered trying to keep back her tears tell me the worst don't be afraid to tell me will he know me again is his mind affected seriously affected i fear i would not say that reason is altogether gone but it is no longer a sane mind there are hallucinations alternating with a dull apathy the treatment may not have been cruel, has not been actively cruel, for there have been intervals since yesterday in which he has talked rationally and answered all my questions about his life at St. Jude's with perfect clearness. But it has been the worst possible treatment for such a case as his. It has been murder, deliberate murder, and those people at St. Jude's have acted as hired murderers. Mr. Carpew has been your brother-in-law's paid agent. I think there is no doubt of his guilt in that degree. Mr. Urquhart has an extraordinary influence over him, some stronger hold than money. But it is not worth while to enter upon that question. The wrong has been done and cannot be undone. It is possible that this poor fellow might have degenerated in bodily and mental health under the happiest circumstances. What does the doctor say? No doubt you have called in a doctor. A man of the highest repute in the neighborhood. He considers the case one of epilepsy, pure and simple. Epilepsy in that severe form in which the frequent attacks tend towards lunacy and too often result in lunacy. He does not think the patient likely to be long-lived. 
long-lived a life of misery oh god to think of what he was when i knew him oh if you could have seen him then mr coverdale young handsome a king among men his mind so highly cultivated knowing and loving all the books i loved so full of enthusiasm telling us of adventures that showed such courage and ready wit unconsciously for he was the last of men to boast of what he had done and now you tell me that he is a wreck a wreck in mind and body a creature to be pitied to hear you speak of him just now as this poor fellow she burst into tears crushed and humiliated as if brandon mountford's humiliation bowed her proud head to the dust pray bear with me she said as coverdale murmured some consoling commonplace hardly knowing what he said his heart aching for her as it had never ached before for a woman in sorrow think what it is for me to have loved him as i did love him those and these lips told him so only a few hours before marie arnold's death and to find him thus bear with me mr coverdale you are a good man my true kind friend the only friend i can look to now coverdale was silent not daring to trust himself to speech in answer to that declaration of friendship how did you find him she asked after a pause they were driving along the road by the lake through the drizzling rain an expanse of dark grey water stretched in front of them with mountains on either side and wintry gloom brooding over mountain and lake it was not easy but still it only required patience and the following up of every clue i have had to hunt for people in the east end and i have found out that there is only one way of doing it i had the keswick police to help me two men who knew the neighborhood for a good many miles around and with their help i soon discovered traces of him the arrival of an invalid gentleman and his friend at a lonely farmhouse on the further side of buttermere had been heard of at an inn in the neighborhood an inn used by excursionists in summer but almost deserted at this time of year we found the man who drove them there not one of the flymen who ordinarily meet the trains but a man from a livery yard and engaged by a telegram overnight had one of the station flies had been employed we should have made our discovery much sooner for naturally my first inquiries were among those men what kind of a place what kind of people asked sibyl a decent farmhouse very lonely a place to hide in decent kindly people anxious to do their best for their charge i believe he had been sent to them by mr carpew whom they had known a few years ago when they had a farm near st jude's a farm on your father's estate they knew nothing of the man who brought him had never seen him before to their knowledge but they knew mr carpew and were willing to oblige him they were to be paid for the gentleman's board and lodging and for a man to look after him and all that was wanted was seclusion and secrecy the poor gentleman had relatives who wanted to put him in a lunatic assignment 
and who would perhaps make out a case of lunacy against him if they could get a hold of him, though he was by no means a lunatic. Mrs. Holloway, the farmer's wife, seems a kindly soul, and her sympathies were aroused by this story. Thank God he has not fallen among thieves. So, so far as these people are concerned, are you taking me to him now? I am taking you to the hotel, where I have engaged rooms for you. I hope you will rest quietly for tonight, and tomorrow morning we will start for the farm as early as you like. Why should I wait till tomorrow? I am longing to see him, to know the worst about him. You tell me he is ill, a broken man. Your manner implies that he is very ill. He may die before tomorrow morning, and then I shall go down to my grave without having seen the man my foolish, unreasoning love helped to ruin. Lady Penrith, you must not look at this story in that light. No one can tell what influence surrounding circumstances may have had upon him. It is possible that he was doomed to suffer as he has done, that in the brightest lot his fate would have been the same, and if he committed the crime for which he was arrested. No, 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 he did not commit that crime. Don't speak of it. I am angry at the thought of my own folly, the web of lies in which I was caught. Let us go to the farm at once. We can stop at the hotel just to get rid of Ferriby and the luggage, and then drive on. Not on a dark night like this. The distance is too long. The drive would not be without danger, and you would see the patient at his worst, startled by such a late arrival. I want to see him at his worst. I want to know all he has suffered in those long, dreary years. But think what the shock might be for him. He must be prepared for seeing you. Is he not prepared already? Have you told him nothing of my anxiety about his fate, my bitter grief for his sufferings? Yes, I have spoken of you, but perhaps not enough. Be assured it will be better for you and for him that you should defer the meeting until tomorrow. You have been so good to me that I cannot disobey you, Sybil answered with a sigh. What is the name of the hotel where I am to stop? She asked. The Lodore. I thought you would like to be like the lake and away from the town. Yes, I gave them no address when I was leaving. I was afraid Penrith might follow me and interfere in some manner. I must go back tomorrow afternoon, when we have decided what is to be done. Has Mr. Mountford no near relations? Is he quite alone in the world? Quite alone. He has no relation nearer than my uncle, Lord Brymar, and they are only second cousins, a relationship which does not count for much in a large family like my grandfather's. I was interested in him for another reason over and above the relationship. His father loved my mother hopelessly, loved her even after he was bound to another. 
his son told me the story of that sad hopeless love oh mr coverdale forgive me she said startled by a stifled sob from the man sitting by her pray forgive me if i have touched upon some sad story of your own no <clears throat> no it was nothing he said hastily that kind of story the idea of a hopeless love a hopeless grief manfully battled with is always pathetic you remember warrington's story a mere episode in pendennis it moves one more than all the rest of the book doesn't it ah here we are at the lodore and now i shall leave you to get as much rest as you can till tomorrow morning the carriage stopped in front of the hotel lady penrith's maid alighted the porter took the luggage lights shone brightly in the hall within with all the stir and bustle of an important arrival head waiter and head chambermaid were in eager attendance to show the way to her ladyship's rooms a titled visitor in that dead season of the year was worthy of exceptional respect i am staying at the keswick hotel coverdale said as he bade good-night but i will be with you as early as you like to-morrow and a carriage and pair of good horses you'd better bring your maid the journey will be long and tiring and if we should have a hopelessly wet day i'm not afraid of bad weather would eight o'clock be too early for you to be here not too early for me if i can get the livery people to stir early i will be with you at eight only i beg that you will try to rest to-night they have given you rooms looking towards the lake and i hope the sound of the waterfall will be only loud enough to serve as a slumber song do not think of me you have taken worlds of trouble i don't know how i should ever thank you don't thank me i have to take much more trouble at the east end for duty's sake it will be my most cherished memory that you look to me for help in your anxieties good night he did not even stop to shake hands with her but left with a stiff bow which seemed curiously at variance with the suppressed emotion in his vo voice he went back to the carriage through the rain and she heard him drive away leaving her with a long evening before her in a strange hotel a two hours drive through the morning mists brought lady penrith and her companion to a solitary farmhouse hidden amongst the hills a spot more lonely than even st jude's vicarage but this rustic homestead with its group of barns and stable yard in the background and its little garden where autumn flowers still lingered had a more cheerful aspect than the straggling stone house at st jude's with its walled garden and gloomy firs brandon mountford yes this was brandon mountford this tall wasted figure this hollow-eyed countenance with the downward melancholy lines about the mouth and the nervous contraction of the brow and the wasted hands that lay in helpless inaction on the arms of the chair sybil 
stood gazing at him in awe-stricken silence almost as she might have looked at a ghost she could find no words to say to him no words of pity or affection speech seemed frozen vainly had coverdale sought to prepare her for the shock the anguish of the spectacle was not lessened by anything that he had told her the silence lasted for minutes coverdale heard the old clock in the passage ticking solemnly on as if it were measuring out a long lifetime so hopeless seemed the duration of that agony the woman standing statue-like white as marble the man sitting with eyes that glazed idly out beyond the open window across the little garden where the asters and marigolds made a bank of gaudy colour to the grey dimness of great rugged hills the mist had cleared from the lower landscape and the air in the shelter of the hills had a summer-like softness at last over the blank melancholy of that altered face there crept a slow vague smile and brandon mountford lifted his eyes toward sibyl i knew that you would come he said slowly i knew that you would understand my message though i have almost lost the trick of writing brandon you know me you know me she cried sinking on her knees by his chair clasping one of his wasted hands deadly cold to her touch know you yes of course you have been cruelly treated but that is all over now all that this world can give you of happiness shall be yours it shall be my care the object of my life to atone for your sufferings no no there has been no cruelty it was my doom the curse laid upon me what could they do but hide me hide me from my fellow-men a wretch a murderer i have suffered but i have had my dreams dreams of that wild country where i was so happy centuries ago centuries of weariness and pain the black faces came back to me in dreams the river the forest and i have dreamt that you and i were happy there you and i sitting together by the campfire i have seen your face in the red light and then the fire has changed to the fire of hell and i have suffered like a soul in everlasting agony i have suffered for my crime in broken sentences with piteous entreaty she protested against his self-denunciation it is a dream she said a horrible dream you had nothing to do with poor marie's death except the misfortune to be the first to find her you have been the victim of a diabolical conspiracy a plot to hide away an innocent man in order to prevent suspicion falling on the real murderer he looked at her curiously as if lapsing into a reverie in which her words hardly reached him looked at her wonderingly as if her face were strange to him and then his eyes wandered away from that earnest eager face to the gaudy autumn flowers and the great 
grave hills veiled in the thin white mist alas it was but too evident that the shadows which clouded his reason only cleared away now and again for a brief space as the autumn haze parted and patches of the hillside showed clear and bright through a rift in the veil it is not wise to talk to him of that dreadful event said coverdale what we have to consider is what is best to be done for him the doctor will be here at twelve o'clock you may be glad to hear his opinion from his own lips yes i should like to hear what he thinks but ought we not to have a specialist we might telegraph to edinburgh there will be time for that by and by will you come into the garden with me what leave him alone he has been accustomed to sitting alone the woman of the house is within call i should like to have a quiet talk with you out yonder sibyl did not answer him scarcely heard him perhaps she was looking at brandon mountford in agonized contemplation whatever there had been of intellect or of power in his face a few minutes ago had vanished weakness physical and mental was that all that could be read in that face now a countenance of sickly pallor every muscle relaxed dull misery expressed in every languid line this is what solitude and silence the slow decay of monotonous years had done for brandon mountford if sibyl could have looked back along that dark line of years if some magic mirror had could have shown her the pictures of the past what would she have seen first a strong man caught in a trap fighting with his captors for the release into free air of heaven then suddenly subjugated and rendered powerless not by their violence or their persuasion but by the fell disease which the horrors and agitations of his life had intensified which set its grip upon body and brain with a force never felt till then she would have seen one seizure following upon another with brief intervals of languor and exhaustion till strength was sapped and intellect weakened weakened but not destroyed she would have seen a brave man submissive as a child to a bondage from which he could have been broken had he so willed submissive because despairing he was told that he was a murderer that a warrant was out against him that to escape from that dull prison house that life of hopeless monotony might be to doom himself to the gallows or at least to the imprisonment of a state madhouse a felon among felons a lunatic among lunatics she would have seen him as his brain weakened and the power of consecutive thought gradually diminished fooled by the hope of release he should be got away later when the coast was clear should be got on board a steamer and drafted away to that dark continent of which he dreamt so often where liberty and life were waiting for him among the dark faces under the tropical sun cousined from day to day and month to month from year to year with that reiterated by and by 
she would have seen him turning the pages of books that he had once loved reading and forgetting what he had read and she would have seen him gradually losing count of days and months and years till time was one long blank and his life knew no change save the change from heat to cold and back to heat again from sunshine pouring in at his open windows to the early darkness of endless winter nights from the dark iron blank where the firelight had leapt and sparkled so merrily to the welcome fire-glow coming back again to fill the dull black void no changes save the rain whipping at the window-panes the wind roaring over the distant sea or shrieking in the chimney there was thunder sometimes a thunder peal that shook the house and made him wish the roof would crack and the walls crumble and bury him among dust and ruin and so make an end of this dull blank space and time which seemed to be endless infinite space infinite time he repeated the words sometimes as if they had been a formula who disputes that either is infinite i have proved them both he said for not only did time seem endless immeasurable but in his frequent periods of hallucination space also seemed without limit and his weary spirit wandered in worlds that knew neither change nor boundary neither night nor day dim grayness peopled by silent ghosts an endless labyrinth or a wide stretch of barren sand leading to a horizon that was always the same and yet forever receding the commonest dreamer in a dream of a minute can invent and people a place unknown to his waking intelligence but in the diseased brain that dreaming power increased a hundredfold becomes a source of unspeakable suffering a wellspring of horror and what of his more rational hours those longer intervals between one attack and another when there was time for the brain to regain some touch of reasoning power alas those hours of reason and remembrance were the worst of all for in those he believed himself marie arnold's murderer recalled the image of the corpse in the wood brooded over the cruelty of such an end to that bright young life and the shame and disgrace of the crime disgrace reflecting upon all who were of his name and blood better that i should rot in this seclusion he told himself in those waking hours than that i should go out into the world to set men talking of my crime yet if it were possible if i could get clear of england without scandal could get back to the zambezi and my faithful kaffir boys they would hardly think worse of me for that story of bloodshed they would only pity me as the victim of witchcraft and in such an interval when his custodian came to him with the meal which only mr carpew or his wife ever served to the mysterious boarder brandon mountford would urge the fulfilment of that reiterated promise surely the time had come when he might go away whatever watch had been kept upon the house must have ceased long ago he had lost all count of time but he knew it must be long and he looked down at his clothes which had been replaced by ready-made garments more than once since he came there and which were threadbare and worn at the edges 
he looked at his wasted hands where the muscles had been so firm and the flesh so hard and brown in those old days by the salmon river yes it was long very long suspicion watchfulness must have worn out long ago why could he not get away the vicar had various excuses the danger was not over his lodger was a marked man any movements in that lonely spot would excite curiosity and then there was the question of money it would cost a good deal of money to get him out of england and to pay his passage to the cape and you wouldn't like to land there penniless said the vicar penniless yes penniless under those stars he would not fear besides he had friends in london friends who would gladly help him men to whom money was no account if he could remember their names or where to find them ah there was the agony he could not remember names localities even the faces of the past were lost in thick mists of forgetfulness faces haunted him faces appeared to him rooms in which he seemed to have lived gardens whose every tree and shrub seemed familiar but he could not distinguish memories from dreams the things which he had been were even real to-day from the things which his fancy invented if sibyl could have known how through the clouds that darkened mind and memory one image had shone like a star unchanged and unforgotten and that image hers if she could have heard his appeal to his jailer repeated day after day let me see her has she had my letter have you sent a messenger to ellerslie as you said you would and how day after day he was put off with excuses and postponements he was told that she had married lord penrith and was a leading light in the london world it was implied that she had forgotten her unhappy kinsman and was indifferent to his fate she was abroad in the south of france an assertion that had been justified by her actual absence in several winters but the same story had been told him when she was at killander castle to-morrow and to-morrow there had always been the same promise that his desire should be realized by and by and as the brain weakened he had grown to believe in that by and by and to wait and watch for her coming he had written many such scrawls as the one which reached her hands but on that last occasion he had been fortunate in his messenger a starveling jack-of-all-trades who lived in a hovel at st jude's and did odd jobs for the farmers the key had been left in the lock of the garden door for once in a way and brandon who was allowed to walk alone in this joyous enclosure had opened the door unobserved and gone out he had no idea of escape now having been told that escape was hopeless he was too weak and helpless to even contemplate any act requiring prompt decision or sustained exertion he only wanted to see sibyl to find some messenger who would carry his appeal the garden door opened on the heath but he could hear the sound of a pick in the road a little way off 
and could see a bent figure breaking stones it was the jack-of-all-trades doing a spell of parish work and to him brandon mountford entrusted his message hastily written upon a fly-leaf torn out of the book he had been reading as he stood on the windy road he entreated the man to find lady penrith to put that bit of paper into her hand her hand and no other he offered his watch as payment in advance for this service but the man would not take it the rough peasant was touched with awe and pity at the sight of that spectral face and he was too honest to accept so valuable a gift half-witted himself he may have had some instinctive sympathy with brandon's clouded mind he promised that the letter should reach lady penrith whatever trouble it might cost him to find her and he kept his word with a dogged faithfulness that would have done honour to the strongest intellect and thus by the accident of a key left in a lock and by one act of forgetfulness on mr carpew's part brandon mountford had been released from a living grave have you made any plan for his future coverdale asked as he and sibyl walked up and down beside the privet hedge which divided the garden from the road i thought if we could take him to ellerslie he might be happy there he could have good servants i could rely on mrs morrison's care of him not to be thought of for a moment said coverdale decisively in the first place ellerslie would recall the tragedy which changed the current of his life the effect on his mind might be disastrous true i forgot that i have lived down the horror of those associations myself and i forgot yes you are right ellerslie would never do remember the warrant against him wretched wreck as he is he might be put through all the torture of a magistrate's inquiry might be indicted for murder and have to stand his trial the result a state madhouse ellerslie would not do no no the risk would be too great then what do you advise leave him where he is for the present perhaps till the spring i have made inquiries about these people and they bear an excellent character in the neighbourhood the man a hard-working tenant farmer whose father and grandfather worked on the land before him the woman honest and god-fearing their connection with mr carpew is simple enough he was curate at the nearest parish church for a year before lord penrith gave him the living of st jude's and during that year he became very friendly with the farmer and his wife they are kindly people mr mountford will be perfectly safe under this roof until we can think of something better but what if the men who brought him here should remove him somewhere else and we should lose sight of him again i don't think it will be attempted in the first place we must engage a trustworthy attendant accustomed to such cases who must be responsible to us for his safety with a man under him to relieve guard i shall go straight from here to st jude's and after i have talked to mr carpew i don't think there will be any further attempt to interfere with this poor man's liberty the vicar of st jude's will see the peril of his conduct and i will put it before him as i mean to do you might frighten him but he is only the tool of a wickeder man a man who will not hesitate at a crime and then 
Sibyl urged the necessity of removing Brandon Mountford out of the power and beyond the knowledge of the man who had hidden him from his fellow men in order to sustain the suspicion, the almost certainty, that he was the murderer of Marie Arnold. So long as everybody at Ardliston believed in Brandon's guilt, no one took the trouble to look anywhere else for the criminal, said Sibyl. That must have been the motive of his imprisonment. To leave him in the power of Hubert Urquhart would be madness. And how can we be sure of his safety so long that that wretch knows where to find him? Mr. Urquhart is your husband's brother. It seems a hard thing to suppose him such an unmitigated scoundrel. Ask my husband for his brother's character if you doubt my estimate of him. But surely he would not suspect his brother of murder. Perhaps not, but he would tell you that he is vile enough to make any suspicion justifiable where he is concerned. Dear Mr. Coverdale, there is only one thing to be done. We must get Brandon out of this man's custody and into our own. Let us run all risks as to that warrant of ten years ago, and take him to Ellerslie. He will be safe there with my housekeeper and my father's trusted secretary, Andrew Orlebar, a man who knows the whole story, and who would go through fire and water to help me. You cannot take him to Ellerslie, to the scene of the murder, without arousing curiosity among your neighbors. However few they are, there are enough of them to talk and to revive the old story and the old suspicions. If a few days hence he were to be arrested, you would be sorry. Yes, yes, you are right. It might be dangerous. Oh, Mr. Coverdale, what are we to do? We seem so hemmed round with difficulties. Here is a life, a poor, ruined life, which has been given back to me as if out of the grave. Am I to jeopardize it, lose it again? Think, think what can be done. Something must be done to save him from the villain who plotted against him, maybe his accomplice, in my blind folly. There was a silence, a silence that seemed interminable to Sibyl's anxiety, as John Coverdale walked slowly up and down the shingly path by her side. She could see that he was deep in thought, and would not interrupt his cogitations by a word. Her patience was rewarded presently. He had thought out a plan, which he submitted to her briefly. My father has a shooting-box in Argyllshire. He was there with some friends in August and September, but the place is deserted now, except for a keeper with his wife and a few shooting-dogs. I will telegraph to the hospital at Carlisle for an attendant. Wait here till he comes, and when he comes, start at once for Scotland, with Mr. Mountford, if he will trust himself to me. I can install him in my father's cottage in the care of the keeper and his wife, who are old servants, and will implicitly obey my orders. There could be no better plan if Lord Workington will lend me you his cottage. No difficulty about that. A telegram will settle the business. I must wait here till the attendant comes from Carlisle. You can return to the castle this afternoon, and you can send my telegrams from the nearest office on your way back. But to leave you here, to take so much of your time, 
don't mind that i was to have been in london to-morrow afternoon but one of my messages will be to the friend who is taking my duty asking him to give me one more sunday by monday or tuesday i hope to have established mr mountford at the hut and from there i shall go straight to london you may believe that i shall not abandon him until i am assured of his safety i believe in your wisdom and goodness as i believe in heaven i can never thank you enough for what you are doing he will thank you perhaps some day better than i can if the power to think ever comes back thank you for life saved reason re restored and then she gave him a cheque for a hundred pounds which she had written before leaving the hotel for travelling and other expenses she begged him to be lavish to use the power of gold to the utmost she would send further checks as they were needed he smiled his grave sad smile at her eagerness it would be an impertinence on my part to refuse to let you pay any charges i might incur on your kinsman's account he said but there will not be much money wanted and now may i send for your carriage and your maid you must be anxious to be on your way home again i can write the telegrams while the carriage is being brought round yes there is no time to lose you will tell the house surgeon at carlisle that the attendant is wanted for a friend of lord penrith my husband is a supporter of the hospital and the authorities will do their utmost to oblige him but i am to see the doctor she said looking at her watch it is past twelve and he was to be here at twelve i must wait to hear what he says about the journey to scotland and may i see mr mountford one more time before i go may i not certainly if you like sibyl went alone to the parlour where mountford was sitting by the fire while the farmer's wife a kindly-looking woman was laying the table for a meal the gentleman has a very poor appetite she explained as she cut strips of toast to accompany a basin of broth it's difficult to get him to take his nourishment he's nothing but skin and bone poor soul poor soul pity pity the wreck of humanity that was brandon mountford's portion now he looked up with sudden flush and a brightening of the haggard eyes ah he cried as if seeing sibyl for the first time my messenger found you oh my beloved how i have waited and watched for your coming he stretched out his wasted hands to her in passionate greeting he had no memory of half an hour ago when he had greeted her with almost the same words the evidence of a decayed intellect cut her to the quick the doctor came into the room at this moment a young man but serious and intelligent he looked at his patient sat by his side for about ten minutes questioning and observing him then went out into the garden with lady penrith be frank with me she entreated it is a very bad case is it not yes it is a bad case incurable 
one hardly likes to call any disease incurable nowadays medical science has taken to working miracles surgeons are cutting epilepsy out of the brain as they cut cancer out of the body and with as much or as little success with the same probability of success and the same hazard of failure perhaps he ought to be seen by a specialist a man who has made epilepsy the study of his life yes it would be well by and by for the satisfaction of his friends that this poor gentleman should have the benefit of the highest opinion but there will be time enough for that when his bodily strength is restored if it can be restored by care and good nursing you find him seriously dangerously ill not dangerously ill but in a very low and feeble condition in a state which would make any illness dangerous a chill a fever an attack of bronchitis he would have no resisting power he has been cruelly treated kept in worse seclusion than if he had been in a madhouse solitude silence dull rooms no change of air and scene all very bad no doubt in a case such as his and now it is proposed to take him on a long journey to argyllshire can he bear such a journey certainly as travelling is managed nowadays he might be taken at night in a sleeping carriage with the greatest care and with someone in attendance to administer stimulants there need be no risk in such a journey weak as he is if the drive to here in keswick is not made too fatiguing care shall be taken the utmost care we are sending to carlisle for a nurse but if you could spare the time to go with him to superintend the journey your fee should be anything you like to name in a case of this kind there can be no question as to expense you are very good if you were to travel at night i think i might spare the time for my other patients and my fee should not be exorbitant my practice is not a very remunerative one and i have no pressing case just now which would make my absence hazardous i need not be away more than eighteen hours if we travel by the night mail everything shall be arranged to suit your convenience your presence will be a comfort to me and to mr coverdale who is now taking my poor cousin to scotland and you will see the attendant and give him full instructions as to treatment continued sibyl i will do everything that thought or experience can suggest then my mind will be at ease about him please write to me immediately after your return and i shall have the pleasure of sending you a check the doctor smiled for he did not even know the name of this beautiful woman whose earnestness and evident affection for that ruined life impressed him deeply he asked no questions for he knew enough about lord workington's son to know that he had to do with people of good position the carriage was waiting in the accommodation lane which made the only approach to the homestead her ladyship's maid was there and there were wraps and rugs enough in the open carriage for a journey to st petersburg once again 
Sibyl went back to the farmhouse parlour, and alone with Brandon Mountford this time, bent over his chair and pressed her lips to his wan forehead. Oh, God, the memory of that first kiss in the garden at Ellerslie, before the coming of sorrow. This might be her last memory of him. Who can tell? He was passing out of her sight once more. Who could tell if life would ever bring them face to face again? Life is so full of sad surprises, she thought, as she drove away from that quiet hollow in the hills, remembering the sudden trouble of ten years ago, and in no wise foreshadowing that terrible surprise which was waiting for her within the hour. End of chapter 28